Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. This morning, we're going to continue the summer preaching series entitled James, well, from the book of James, entitled Christianity That Walks. We are in part nine this morning. Pastor Pat sends his greetings. He's going to be taking the next week off on vacation and sends his love and greetings to everyone here today. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 3. Most of the scriptures we're going to provide on the screen above, but if you'd like to turn in your Bibles or in your Bible apps to James chapter 3, I'm going to be picking up where Pastor left off last week, which is verse 13 of James chapter 3. Before we begin reading, let's bow our hearts before the Lord here today. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege that we have in this moment, a holy moment, Lord, to open up your word, to hear from you. And Father, I pray for the next several minutes, Lord, as we read your word, that your word would penetrate our hearts, that it would just not convict us, Lord God, but it would bring change, Lord, that we would just open up ourselves to receive exactly what you want us to receive here today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to me, that you would speak through me, that for these next several moments, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Praise God. If you haven't been with us this summer, or maybe this is your first time visiting here, we've been going through the book of James since the month of June. I believe the end of June, early July, and you can listen to any of the messages uh, through our website. I think eight messages, as I said, have been preached. We had a wonderful uh, service a couple weeks ago. How many of you are here for our summer celebration? Praise God, yeah. I was here in the building, but I was out back making sure that pulled pork was getting ready for all of you. But I just a couple of days ago finally got to hear the message and what a powerful message it was. And I just thank God. What, a, what an amazing testimony of God's miraculous breakthrough in, in John's life. And it was so rich. I got to talk to his mother, Joyce, and just a beautiful time. And, and if you missed summer celebration, I encourage you to listen to the message. It's a powerful message and testimony. And that's on our website as well. But in this preaching series, as we've been going through James, just kind of a, the, a Cliff Notes version of the book, and uh, James 1, uh, James writes about how we're to be patient in trouble. Um, about six weeks ago, I preached a, a, a message and reminded us that, that God allows trials in our lives. Um, the same word for trial is also test, temptations that we see in the scriptures. Um, Satan will come with the temptation. The difference is that God tests us at times to deepen our faith, where Satan t- uh, brings temptation to destroy our faith. So we have to understand the difference of two. James does a beautiful job. James is probably, I, I got a few favorite books. It's definitely the top three favorite books in the Bible. It's just a practical book. If you haven't read through the book of James, I encourage you to do so. We looked in chapter two, Pastor Pat and Pastor Bob preached a couple messages out of chapter two, how a mature Christian practices the truth. We learned that there's three categories of faith, dead faith, demonic faith, and dynamic faith. And true faith means there is an inward change 
an outward transformation and it has an upward focus. Again, all these messages are on our website. Last week, Pastor Pat uh, shared about the power of the tongue. How many of you were here last week? Powerful message, 18 of you, or you're not listening to me? Where's all the hands? The power to condemn, the power to control, and the power to comfort. Another powerful message uh, from God's word. You see, it doesn't matter who the messenger is. When the word of God is preached, it's powerful. Everybody has their different flavor, whether you like a young and handsome guy like me or someone (laughs) that's, I'm just kidding. See if you're listening. But we have all different types of personalities. We're blessed that every pastor on this team loves the word of God and preaches the word of God. I would say probably if they didn't preach the word of God, they probably wouldn't be on staff here. But the bottom line is when God's word goes forward, um, it's powerful because it's the word of God that's living and active. In the book of Hebrews, it says it, it, it goes to the deepest parts of our hearts. So as we go through these verses here this morning, let the word of God penetrate. And sometimes it hurts, right? It's like a two-edged sword. It hurts for a moment. But I'll tell you what, it'll bring tremendous fruit if we will allow it to sink deep and do what God desires for it to do. Amen? So let's look at uh, James chapter 3, starting at verse uh, 13. James actually pens this question, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? Actually, he answers his own question. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. That phrase, meekness of wisdom, is very interesting to me. That word meekness really is a right use of power. We were having a meal with Terry and Christy yesterday, and, and Christy King, a friend of ours, has a horse, and, and my wife was asking questions and seeing pictures and so forth. But literally, I was thinking about this because the word meekness literally means power or strength under control. And back earlier in chapter th- uh, three, verse, uh, in verse three of chapter three, where it talks about the bit in a horse's mouth, you see, it's, a, it's kind of a picture of what happens or what's needed um, to really take control of a horse. We associate at times when we hear that word meekness as weakness and it doesn't, it means, it doesn't mean that at all, okay? Meekness is actually a fruit of the spirit. We want meekness. It's the right use of power and wisdom is really the, the right use of knowledge. I like to think of the word application when I think of wisdom. You see, church, we have a lot of knowledge in the Christian church in America. We have access to knowledge. We have access to God's word really 24-7. Here's what I believe the church is lacking in America. Wisdom. The application of it. Taking God's word and applying it like we're called to do here today. We may know it, we hear it, we may quote it. And there's a picture, I don't know if you have the slide, of I want to share, if I was to subtitle this message and it's there in your notes, there in your outlines, it would be the two keys to a successful Christian walk. And I don't know if any of you have, uh, maybe your front door or something has two locks, something similar to this. But it's important to understand this picture here because 
both of these go hand in hand. To really go in your Christian walk, you need both wisdom and you need humility. We're going to talk about both of these today as we go through these verses in James, okay? It does you no good to apply God's word and have a a proper application without a proper attitude. Or to have a proper attitude but not apply. You have to have both here today, and I hope before you leave here today that you understand the importance of a proper application of God's word and also a proper attitude, both wisdom from above and humility. Are you with me? So let's get back to verse 13 here. He says, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So basically, what James is doing is he's getting the focus back. If you were here last week, Pastor Pat's message was focusing on Christian talk. Just for a moment, he he pauses, and now we're getting back to the walk, okay? Our behavior. So, in verse 14, he continues, and he writes this. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Bitter envy, strong words, Very strong words. Not just envy, which is not good, but bitter envy. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. And then in verse 15, what we're going to see here is the contrast of the origin of man's wisdom and the origin of God's wisdom, heavenly wisdom. Some of your Bibles have a subtitle, heavenly versus demonic wisdom, um, wisdom from above, wisdom from below, two kinds of wisdoms. I was looking at some of the Bibles that I have, and there's different subtitles there. But there's two kinds of wisdoms that James getting into right here. All right? The first one, he says, in verse 15, this wisdom, as he's describing 14, he says, does not descend from where? above, but it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, you have three enemies to your soul. The world, the flesh, and the devil. All three are after you. And when I look at this verse here, earthly, the world, sensual, the flesh, demonic, the devil, that is the adversary or the enemies of the church. Are you with me? So when we look at this wisdom from hell or from below, it's worldly, it's of the flesh, It's of the devil. So it's interesting how he hits these three right here in this verse. It's earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. There's two kinds of wisdom. He goes on to describe heavenly wisdom or wisdom from above. In verse 17, look at it with me. He says, but the wisdom that is from what? Above. Say above. You know, everybody, how do you know heaven's above? You know, and in and, and Colossians, you know, it tells us not to keep our minds on earthly things, but things what? 
above, right? You see, there's this picture. James is repeating it. Paul's repeating it. There's this idea that there's, there's always two choices for us here, church. And, and, and there's two choices for wisdom. And he's saying this wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, talked a little bit about this in chapter two, and without what? Hypocrisy, without wearing a mask, not fake. True godly wisdom is reflecting God, who God is. You don't need to cover anything up. This is who God is. And God is about love, isn't he? Unconditional love. When we're loving God and loving people, that's a beautiful picture of wisdom from above that we're applying this here today. If you are taking notes, I'm not going to read it today, but write down Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. This, um, in, in Ephesians 2, Paul just reiterates to the church of Ephesus, our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's just for your personal study and so on forth. But there's this picture of humility in this text. So two, the two keys I want you to get from this message today is wisdom and humility. But we can't really look at humility, and Pastor Bob's going to dive deeper into this next week in the text that he reads without understanding first what it is. And I love this definition. Some of you may remember Bill Kirk. He comes every once in a while to preach God's word. He's got a, a great devotional book out, and he hits on what humility is in this devotional book. He writes this, humility is recognizing my inability to accomplish anything for God apart from his grace. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to replace all arrogance, conceit, fear, worry, self-preoccupation, self-promotion, and self-vindication. I love that definition of humility, and we're going to dive a little bit more into that in just a few moments. Verse 18 of chapter 3, continuing. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Warren Wiersbe, the great Bible commentator, writes this. If we live in God's wisdom, we sow righteousness and peace, and we reap God's blessing. If we live in man's worldly wisdom, we sow sin and war and reap strife, confusion, and every evil work. The Bible says in Proverbs 3.13, happy is the man who finds wisdom, and I'll emphasize from above, and the man who gains understanding. Church, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're living in godly wisdom, I can guarantee you because God's word guarantees you that your life will be happy. And I know you say happy, joy, happy is about happenings. The joy of the Lord will be in you when you apply. How many of you can just say that's a testimony of that? I can raise both hands to that. When I'm applying God's truth and living in godly wisdom, even if all hell's breaking out in my life, there is just a peace within from heaven. The, 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 the thing that's described here in, in eighth, the fruit of righteousness and, and peace and those, it, it's just, it's evident. Righteousness and peace is a beautiful blessing from God that comes to those that walk in wisdom and that live in humility. 
What is Christian wisdom? It's there in your outlines there. Just kind of a, a cliff notes version. This is not exhaustive by any means. But if you're taking notes, write, this, uh, write Jesus Christ down first. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. Well, let me give you a couple verses from 1 Corinthians that share this here today. They're found in verses 24 and uh, verses 30 of 1 Corinthians. It's up here on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the what? And the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. He goes on a few verses later and says, but of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us, what? Wisdom from God. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. Even in Colossians 2, 3, it says in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let me pause here for a moment and say that the first step toward true wisdom is receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's impossible to have wisdom from above without Jesus Christ in your life. And there may be someone here today, maybe a guest invited you or family member, whatever you're here, and you're listening to this and you're just confused. I would encourage you before you walk out of this place here today to invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart the wisdom of God, the wisdom from heaven into your heart. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. That moment, God's wisdom, it's like you unlock that key for God's wisdom to just come into your life. And you'll realize that some of the things that are wisdom from below, the things that bring evil and confusion and garbage and everything else, your appetite will change because only God, only God can take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. And I'm not talking about flesh in the sense, I'm talking about a softness. Even this young man, John, that testified a couple weeks, he was saying, God literally allowed him to die physically. He was not living for the Lord. He was doing his own thing. And God literally had to resurrect him physically in his body to wake him up spiritually to the things of God. I don't want any of that to happen for anyone here today, but maybe all hell is breaking loose in your life right now and you're about to give up and you just, you're, you're tired of how things are going. Would I just, can I encourage you today to open up your heart to Jesus Christ? He truly is the Prince of Peace. He's the only one that can bring peace to your situation that maybe feels like hell on earth. Number two, the word of God is also our wisdom. The word of God is also our wisdom. Look at Deuteronomy chapter four, verses five and six. We have it up on the screen. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them for this is your what? The word of God, the law of God that was given back then, back in the day, the old day, the Old Testament day is your wisdom. It's your wisdom. The statutes and the law of God is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a what? Wise and understanding people. 
What brings us wisdom? Jesus Christ, but the word of God. Number three, we find wisdom through believing prayer. What do I mean by that? Well, if you remember James 1, verse 5, you could just flip back a page just for a moment. What does it say here? James writes, if any of you lack wisdom, let him what? What is asking of God? That's prayer. This verse I heard as a teenager has been a life verse for me. Actually, this whole chapter has. I memorized this chapter as a teenager in our youth ministry. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that I can't quote it for you today. But I did know it for a few years in my life pretty good. But I have a, I, I just remember saying, I need to apply James 1.5. I need to pray every day for God's wisdom. And little did I know that I'd be in full-time ministry years later, serving the Lord and on a daily basis, waking up and saying, God, please give me your wisdom for the day. The promise is that if we lack it, we ask of God and he gives it liberally. He's not waiting for all these conditions necessarily to be met because he knows that God's people are only going to impact this world if they walk in what? Wisdom. His wisdom. Wisdom from above. And number four, the Holy Spirit of God is the sweet, excuse me, is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 17 with me on the next slide here. Ephesians 1 17. It says that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of what? Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul's talking about the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and saying that God is the one who gives wisdom through his Holy Spirit. He gives revelation, amen? We need the wisdom of God. So tuck that here today. Without God's spirit, we really can't be directed in the path um, that, that we know God wants us to go. We need the spirit of God. We need the wisdom of God. It's God's spirit that directs us in the wisest paths as we trust in him, his holy word, and as we pray. Amen? On your outlines there, the origin of true spiritual wisdom is who? God. All that, the cliff notes sum it all up. The origin of true spiritual wisdom is God. We got to be seeking our Father God. Amen? That's the wisdom that James is writing about here in our text. For us to get our wisdom from any other source, folks, and I, I, I mean this sincerely, we're asking for trouble. You know, and I, we have to be careful because, again, we have never had so much access to knowledge like we do today. I mean, when I think of Google, okay, and think of the student I was in high school and think that I can say, Google, how do you define and hear a definition? I'm like, my kids, I want to, like, say, this is not reality, like, you can get an answer to like so much in seconds. Like the knowledge that we have, it's really, it's, it's creepy, it's scary to me. But this knowledge has really, it's almost like a deceptive tool, I believe, that the enemy is using now to wipe away wisdom. Because it's like we think we're so smart because we have all this knowledge and it's like, and even if we don't have it, we could have it in about four seconds phone out, however long it takes for you to punch it in, or now, you know, voice application, I don't even have to type now. Google, how do I get to Africa? I mean, whatever it is, 
It's absolutely unbelievable. We need to seek God. So are, we, are you with me, church? James is just saying, and, and I would just encourage you, if you're one that marks your Bible, mark verse 17 of chapter three. This is a great, I like checklists in my life, or I don't know if I like them, but I need them in my life. Okay, Pastor Pat is a checklist guy. Everybody that's worked anywhere near him knows. Did you do a checklist? You got a checklist? Need a checklist. Everyone don't forget it. I mean, the summer celebration, we had more checklists that could probably fit on any desk in our office. Right, Grace? Where's Grace? Yes. Right? Grace is learning that, working in the office. Checklist, checklist. James 3.17, great checklist for you to mark and just go to. I try to go to it on a regular basis and say, you know what? Is, is, is this how I'm living? Am I applying the wisdom? Because this is what wisdom of above looks like. It's pure, it's gentle, and just willing to yield. I mean, if we would apply this wisdom to our marriages and our relationships and, and our workplaces, wow. You know, but how many know it's hard? Hello? Okay, thank you. Three of you over there, nobody over here, even in the back. It's hard to apply this. And that's why we need number two, the key, the key word, humility. Humility. And I'm going to close the second half here by talking about this word. But we want to pick up in and, and, and chapter 4, verse 1, okay? So look at this with me. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? Think about that here today. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? That word desires there, believe it or not, it's where we get our Greek word. It's the term that we get our uh, word hedonism. And the doctrine of hedonism is the, the pleasure, that pleasure is chief good. So what James is referring to here, he offers this question um, in verse 1, and he, and he offers the answer as well. You know, and, and if you're taking notes on your outlines there, the reason for our problem, selfishness dash hedonism. The Greek term here is, as I said, is H-E-D-O-N, I believe. I'm not sure if I'm spelling it right in the Greek. But like a symptom of a disease, there are emotions. We, we have this lust, angry, quarreling, and fighting that goes on. And it's all because we're not getting our way. Pleasure, selfishness. We are pleasure-seeking people, right? And that is the sinful nature. If you have no pleasure in your life, you're not beating. Or I should say, your heart's not beating if you have no desire for pleasure. We avoid, we naturally avoid pain, don't we? We don't want it, not just in a sense of physical pain. So a lot of times, whether it's money, um, whether it's power, however, things that we have access to can help provide temporary pleasure. But why in the world, church, is it? Why in the world? Why in the world? Many times the case is for those that can access pleasure in, in a moment because of maybe their um, power, uh, their authority, um, their financial status. Why do we find often the case that these are the ones killing themselves and addicted to this and that? Why? 
works. It does not satisfy the soul. It's a temporary fix. You know, the Bible even says, and I, I'm, I'm forgetting the reference, but I can assure you, I read it this week, it's there, that sin is pleasurable for a season when it's referring to Moses. You're familiar with that? It's not denying that there's not pleasure in the moment. Of course there is. That's why we, there's a battle for us in our sin because we still have the sinful nature in our walk. But why is it if you're a Christ follower that when you do, you feel horrible because you grieve the spirit of God in you? We fight, we war, we quarrel, we want to hit. Maybe sometimes we do, we punch wall. I'm embarrassed to say, one time I was in an argument, I won't give you the details for it, but I will say, believe it or not, all hundred and something pounds of me at the time put a fist through a drywall. I went, I was so mad. It's like $500 later I had to pay for because of where I was. Not good. But we do stupid things when we're angry. And you know what the root of it is? It's the heart. Jesus talks about it out of the heart, right? The the mouth speaks. We start saying things we shouldn't and stuff. But even not just out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Evil thoughts. I mean, murder. All these horrible sins, they originate out of a corrupt heart that needs a transplant. And who's the one that, that can give you the transplant? Only Jesus. Only Jesus can give you a transplant where you literally, you give your life to Jesus Christ and now your desires change because you have a new heart. That's what it means to be born again. It's a Bible term. It's in the Gospels. Jesus said it. You must be born again. Nicodemus said, well, I'm supposed to go back into my mother's womb and come out. He's talking about being born from above. That's what born again is. Where when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ now, He gives you a new heart and the things of this world start to fade away and new desires come in. Getting back to our text here, verse two, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your what? pleasures. And I have it there in your outlines. There are three most common problems in prayer. Number one, not asking. He says it here in verse two. Yet you do not have because you do not what? Ask. Number two, asking for the wrong things and asking for the wrong reasons. Verse three, you ask and don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your, on your, on your pleasures. Sometimes we wonder why our prayers aren't getting asked. Well, are we praying according to God's will? Perhaps we're not. A lot to chew on. All right, everybody take a deep breath. Man, that's what I love about this book in James. Oh, it's so practical. You know, you don't have to get your strong concordance out and start looking at the Greek and Hebrew. Those are all good, but this is like so practical here. You know, what is going on? Why is there so much chaos? Even not just in the world, but in the church, in our homes, or in our workplaces, in situations. We need a heart transplant, church. 
We need right praying, which will lead to right living. You know, there's such thing as wrong praying. I'm just described it here. Wrong praying is, first of all, not even praying. That wouldn't work. But praying with wrong reasons, for wrong reasons, and so forth, for wrong things. You know, it's been well said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. But sometimes we look at prayer and say, oh, God, right? And we pull the list out. And I have a prayer list, and I go through it on a regular basis. Most of it is names of people that I want to see come to Christ, family members, friends, people that I have influence with. And I know that that's praying according to God's will. So I go to that list often, right? When we pray for someone's salvation, you're praying to God's will. But we're talking about some of these other things, you know, that maybe needs, and we're saying, I don't understand God. But I just encourage you here today, pray according to God's word. One pastor said, prayer is not giving orders, it's reporting for duty. I love that. It's, 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 it's just you know, humbling ourselves before God. And rather than saying, God, do this, this, and that, and just, you know, give me this and that and that, it's saying, God, what do you have for me? You know, someone once said, too, prayer changes me more than it changes situations. And that, that I know can, as myself, when I'm truly spending time with God in prayer, it, it impacts me. He goes on. He doesn't slow down here. He, he really hits it hard. Look at verse 4 here. Adulterers and adulteresses. The, the, the King James, the, the, the heart of this text doesn't even have adulterers. and It's adulteresses, exclamation point. You see, for those of you that are visiting here today, you maybe not know Christ, but the, the church of God is referred to throughout the scriptures as the bride of Christ. So that's why James is yelling, adulteresses female in a sense because God is our broom, right? Jesus, uh, broom, yeah, we sweep them. No, groom, gee. I'm glad you were listening. The ones that were listening laughed at that because it made no sense. We're the bride of Christ. So we literally commit spiritual adultery. It's what James is saying here when we become friends with the world, when we ignore God's plan, his wisdom, we turn from him, we're, a, we're cheating a relationship, a love and intimate relationship that God wants with us. We are cheating that marriage, that relationship. Are you with me? It's adultery, it's what it is, it's spiritual adultery. He says, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Very harsh words. In your notes, the result of our problems is strife and hostility that we're reading about here in verses four through six. In verse five, he goes on to say, or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? You see, Exodus reminds us that God is a jealous God for his people. Think about it. I don't have time to, to get into this, but when we just briefly, we think of a marriage relationship and so forth, I mean, there should be a, a, a holy, righteous jealousy, right, of our spouse ever cheating. The, the, the thought, and, and, and if it's happened, it's, it's not good. It's not, it doesn't feel right. And 
God the Father does not want any cheating in life, including us being robbed of intimacy with him. And sin, the things of this world, the enemies that attack us, the world, the flesh, the devil, the wisdom from below that is demonic, that brings confusion and evil, that's, it just totally destroys what God wants to do and the relationship that he wants to have with us. But church, I don't want to, you to think that God is a cosmic killjoy and against pleasure for his people. There are several references, and for time's sake, I just put them on the bottom of your outlines because I don't have time to dive into it, but I would encourage you, seek the scriptures there that I put on your outline, James 1.17, Ephesians 4.7, 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5, because there's nothing wrong with wanting a pleasurable life. God gives us good gifts that he wants us to enjoy. The scriptures say that. But having friendship with the world involves seeking pleasure at others' expense. Or if it involves at the expense of obeying God, we have a problem. And that sometimes is often the case. Pleasure that keeps us from pleasing God is sinful. Pleasure that God brings our way through his rich bounty from heaven is good. There's nothing wrong with pleasure from God. Amen? And I just don't have time to elaborate on that today. But I hope that we're understanding what the Spirit of God is wanting to say to us here today. Wisdom. Wisdom is proper application. I'm just praying as we close this service out in a few moments, some of you, that just might be the prayer to pray. God, give me your wisdom. I know the truth. I've memorized scripture. God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. For some, we're going to just close looking at verse six here. When, When he gives, it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the who? Proud, but gives what? Grace to the humble. You know the word humble literally means he who bends himself. Literally in the Greek, that word humble means he who bends himself. I'm not just talking about a physical posture here today. Church, we need a humility from heaven that only God can put in us and as we apply his wisdom, we live it out from heaven. Heavenly wisdom. Next week, Pastor Bob's going to talk about the remedy of our problems, which is submission and humility. We're going to continue on in verse 7 and and on forward in James. But I want to share just a few verses. They'll be on the screen above. You could maybe write down. I'm not sure if they're in your outlines or not as we prepare to close here today. Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame or disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Some translations say, with humility is wisdom. Do you see how the two go hand in hand, church? That's my prayer and desire for you here today. I want to share what three other Christ followers have to say about humility. The first is the Apostle Paul, found in Philippians. A very familiar passage for most of you here today. But as we read through this, let the word of God penetrate your heart and speak to you. Philippians 
chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. It's on the screen above. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Paul's using the same words that James used earlier in 3 that we read earlier. Again, this self-seeking, this self-ambition and conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Continues on in 5. He says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. God left heaven. We celebrate it as Christmas. That's what this is talking about. God left heaven, took on humanity as a babe in a manger. He didn't even come in a a palace or a castle. He rightly could have. Came in a very humble, say the word humble, humble beginning. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he what? Humbled himself and became obedient to the death, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Do you see that, church? Every knee will bow. If you're here today and you're not ready, your pride is keeping you from bowing before God. I'm not talking about a physical posture. I'm talking about understanding that you're a sinner. You've lied, you've stolen, you've cheated. No one here can claim moral perfection. No one here. Every knee will bow, it says right here. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, there's, for some, there's no greater urgency than this moment right now. I believe there's people here that you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and the devil would want you to, to, to hear this lie from hell. No hurry. No hurry. Yeah, you can do that later. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Can I tell you that? Young people, old people, anywhere in between. If there's this tugging in your heart, your heart feels like it's going to pound out of your chest. Maybe you feel something, maybe you don't. But the truth of God's word would want you to bow before it's too late. Because the moment we breathe our last breath, we may not have the blessing that John Smith had and be resurrected and come back over an hour after being dead. Not that God couldn't do it. He proved that he could do it. He did it with his son, Jesus Christ. He did it personally with somebody that we got to see a couple of weeks ago. He can resurrect the dead, but some of us need a spiritual resurrection far more than trying to think of dying in a hospital bed and being physically. Don't You can have spiritual resurrection right now when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the greatest miracle of all. Look at Luke 18, 14. So we heard from Paul, now we look at Luke. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5, 6, again, they sound the same, but these guys are saying it's so important that we humble ourselves before God. That's why they all talk about it in their letters. Therefore, what? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Powerful, powerful scripture. 
here today. As I close, I think for the third or second time, have I closed before? You know, someone, someone once said, when a preacher says, you know, he's closing, it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> so that might be the case. You may think that here today. You know, I was thinking yesterday, my wife was cleaning our bedroom over this past week, and there's this beautiful picture she discovered, and I think we have it for the screen of this boy at three years old. That's me right there. Look at that. I mean, you can't get any more handsome or cute than that, right, at three years old. If you look very closely at that, it's okay, it's done in the late 70s. I have my thumbs up like this. Because, you know, I don't know how spiritual my dad was, but one of the shows that they watched back in the day was a show called Happy Days. Anybody familiar with that? The Fonz? Yeah. So this picture in my bedroom over it says, hey, I was doing the Fonz at three years old. And I'm holding my thumbs up because he used to do that. For those of you that don't know, it's a very bad show. Don't go look it up on YouTube. But you know what the Fon struggled with in that silly show? Was saying I was, he couldn't say wrong. Full of pride. And I think, you know, the greatest need for us here today before the Lord might be to say, I was wrong. God, you are right. Please forgive me. You don't have to go. You, see, some of us think we, we're into this religion and we think we got to find the priest down the road and confess and do our Hail Marys and nothing, you know, uh, the, the stuff that's not scriptural. Jesus is our high priest. He's present. We can, we can confess right in this moment. And I'm not, my wife grew up Catholic. I have a lot of Catholic friends. Several of you are here today. But we got to go to the word of God, the wisdom of God, and see, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that we can come right because of Jesus Christ. We can come right to the throne room of grace, and it's grace that saves us. We can go right there and get what we don't deserve just by talking to God because of what Jesus did. That blows me away. That brings me so much joy that I don't have to do all these little things to get forgiveness. But confess, the Bible says he's faithful and just. He can legally dismiss our case. He can forgive your sin because of what Jesus did. You don't have to put four weeks in a row at church attendance to get right with God. You don't have to read through the Bible in a year to get right with God. You can come right to him through Jesus Christ here today. Somebody needs to hear that. There's some questions in the back of your outlines, Bill Kirk and this devotional wrote this, and I just thought these are good questions for us to chew on. You could read through them. I'm not going to take the time to read through them here today, but it just talks about humility and really um, just questions that we could really ask ourselves to see if we're walking and living in a spirit of humility. Could I ask you all to stand, please, in closing? As the worship team ends with this song, Maybe you're here today, and, and one of those two, both of those, wisdom and humility, you just say, that's I, I need the wisdom of God. I need 
the attitude, the humility of God. It's, it's, it's missing in my life. I've said this before and I'll say it again. As far as I can see in all scripture, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the last verse that I read in verse six of chapter four, God opposes one person, and who is it? The proud. You could be an adulterer, a liar, a thief. You could go through all these horrible crimes, a murderer. You could have killed a person, literally, physically. Although James is talking about sins of the heart, coveting. And when he talks about murder here, he's talking about hatred and anger, like Jesus did in Matthew. You could have done all that. And God will forgive you moment in a moment when you confess your sin. He cannot forgive a proud person. Why? In a sense, because a proud person will not humble themselves and realize they need to be forgiven. They'll do this to God. And maybe you're doing this physically or spiritually right now. I don't need God. Forget God. I got everything I need. Please humble yourself in the presence of God here today if that's you. God loves you. There's nothing but joy living with God. Notice, I didn't say that your life would be exempt from trouble and trials. If you read the beginning of this letter, he says, consider it joy whenever. In other words, you will have trials and everything else that comes living in a fallen world. But God will never leave you or forsake you. When we know what's on the finish line, we can endure the journey. Amen, church? As the worship team leads us in this course, maybe you just want to bow your heart before the Lord. Maybe you want to come forward and pray and ask God into your life. Maybe you want personal prayer, whatever it is. Let's just take a moment. They're only going to sing this song a couple times through. Then Pastor Ken's going to give the benediction. But I encourage you today, receive the truth from God's word. Live with wisdom from above and walk with a spirit of humility. Let's sing this chorus in closing.